Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast, the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Dennis Ackham. Pleased to be joined, as always, by the former Raider great Stanford route in Stanford. We finally know the schedule, and we can start attending some games in person. You've had some time to digest the schedule. What are your thoughts? Well, obviously, uh, they got to make sure that they come out the gate swinging. Got the Ravens at home the first weekend. That is definitely a game that they, I, I feel they need to win. Obviously, got 17 games this year. So you don't have to as far as the win-loss uh, qualifying for the playoffs. But I think it would be a great start to actually build that confidence with one of the heavyweights in the AFC. And no better way than to start off by going ahead and punching the Baltimore Ravens in the mouth. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, the Raiders opened Allegiant Stadium last year, but fans couldn't attend. So I think the league went out of their way to make the Raiders primetime week one Monday night football. Like you said, against the heavyweight Baltimore Ravens, I'm sure it'll be a packed house. Let the fans know, my gosh, this is what you can expect in the new Raiders home. And, you know, moving forward, Stan, I think like it's May. And we take a look at the schedule and we're like, oh, my gosh, I think, some pundits have the Raiders of having one of the toughest schedules, but we don't really know how tough this schedule is going to be down the line. I mean, Stan, you played in the yeah. NFL long enough. You know, there was some years where teams went from first to worst, and then yes. some teams went some worst to first. So before everybody says, oh, my gosh, we got the short end of the stick, toughest schedule around, pump the brakes. We really don't know until we get about, what, four weeks into the season as we really start to understand, you know, who's for real and maybe who's not. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, right now you see how everybody's breaking down everything as far as like who's got the toughest schedule, who's going to have the easiest schedule, and everything is going to be predicated off of last season. Well, we don't know what's going to happen going into this season. We can look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got all 22 rest- uh, returning starters, uh, including Antonio Brown. They didn't lose any of their coordinators. But that doesn't mean that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to go ahead and win the Super Bowl again because they are having everybody return. It just means that they have probably the best chance. So there's going to be a lot of turnover between last season and this season. The Cleveland Browns, they added a lot of pieces from the Los Angeles Rams secondary. That doesn't mean that they're going to gel correctly. You got Jadavion Conner that they bought over from the Seattle Seahawks. Doesn't mean that he's going to gel. You look at Ngakwe added to the Raiders defensive line to bolster their pass rush. It doesn't mean that he's going to gel, even though I think he will, but I'm just speaking hypothetically. So because that we all don't know what's going to happen this season, everything is a projection. Everything is pretty much a an educated hypothesis in, in so many words. So I think that um, anytime someone just automatically wants to rubber stamp the, oh, they're going to have a tough season because of their schedule. They're going to have an easy season because of their schedule. At the, at the end of the day, it's much like the draft. Everybody is still speculating. They're giving their best educated guess. That's all it is because we don't know what 2021 is going to bring for any team in the NFL. Well, the Raiders are a five-and-a-half-point underdog at home against the Ravens in week one. And if you want to check out more week one point spreads and totals, you should head to Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. 
Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Stan, let me ask you this. When you were a player and the schedule came out, did you look at, you know, the entire schedule, say, okay, this is where we are this week, this week, this week. Hey, this is where our buy is going to come in. And then after that, did you look at the schedule again? Oh, anytime the schedule comes out in, in mid-April, you know, obviously this time around it came out in mid-May. Anytime it does come out, you're going to go ahead and take a glance at it. You're going to look at the heavyweights like the New England Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers, or whichever other team, whichever, which any other team is really, really doing well at that point in your career. But it's not something that you're going to take a grand level of stock in. Maybe if you're playing against a former team, a, a, a former coach, something like that, that may go ahead and that may be highlighted in your mental, but you're not going to sit over there and truly like memorize the schedule and think that, okay, you know, in week four, we got a big matchup because the team we're playing, they got the third toughest schedule of all the remaining opponents this season. You're not thinking of it like that. You're going to go ahead. You're going to pay attention. Oh, oh, wow. We got Breeze this year. Oh, we got uh, Brady. Oh, we got Rogers. We got big Ben. We got uh, Russell Wilson, something like that. So, once you kind of get past the initial, okay, I know that's going to be a tough game because I'm going against Andre Johnson. I know that's going to be a tough game because I'm going against Roddy White. I know that's a tough game because I'm going against Chad Johnson or Calvin Johnson, you know, whatever, Larry Fitzgerald. Once you get past that, you know that, okay, no matter what, even if week four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm sorry, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New England Patriots is going to be a, a great matchup. If we don't do what we have to do week one, two, and three, then week four won't matter as much if we walk in there 0 oh, and 3. So that's one thing that you want to make sure that you do not do is get ahead of yourself and make sure that, okay, yes, these are the highlighted games. They're going to be national TV. They're going to be primetime, all of that. But we still have to make sure that we take care of everything from A to Z, starting off with A first. So you mentioned that New England game. Uh, they are hosting – Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's October the 3rd. And the cheapest yeah. price in the secondary market on that game, Stanford, is nearly $1,500. Now, hang on a second. <laughs> hang on a second. The next three most expensive games on the secondary market are the Raiders. And the number two game is against the Baltimore Ravens. Average price secondary market just over eight hundred dollars wow the next one the chiefs at the raiders nearly seven hundred dollars is the cheapest mm -hmm. ticket and fourth when the raiders host the chicago bears khalil mack on october the 10th oh yeah coming back six hundred and thirty dollars i can see that that's a lot of cabbage to be forking out to go see the silver and black. I mean, but oh, let's face it, no it's, it's the road teams. And now when you go play the Raiders, it's a destiny. It's a weekend destination. Yes, it is. Of course. <laughs> I mean, anytime it's Las Vegas, <laughs> that is not anything that's going to deter somebody from going to that city just off of that alone. Then you add in the Las Vegas Raiders. I think the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be much better this year. I think they're going to seriously be competing for a playoff spot this year, even more so than they were competing for last year. 
So just off of that alone, it's going to make it a full, all-around, com- comprehensive type of trip for anybody that wants to go out there to the city in the desert. Stanford, any concerns if the Raiders don't get off to a good start, they don't have a good year, where it can become almost a crowd of 50-50 proportion, 50% rooting for the visiting team, 50% rooting for the Raiders, because I live in L.A., and I've seen this with the Chargers when they played at the StubHub Center or whatever it's called these days, where, I mean, it's at 27,000, Stanford, and you went to a game, and probably 20,000 people were rooting for the visitors, and a handful of people were rooting for the Chargers. There was no home field advantage. It was an embarrassment for the Chargers, and in fact, it was an embarrassment for the NFL. I'm a little concerned if the Raiders aren't <laughs> good. It might not be that disproportionate, but I could see a lot of visiting fans invading Allegiant Field, and I don't know how much of a home field advantage it would be for the Raiders if they're not playing well. Yeah, I definitely think that there's a possibility that that may happen. Maybe not to the magnitude of what goes on or what was going on with the Los Angeles Chargers when they're playing at the StubHub Center uh, that you just uh, mentioned. I think that something that a lot of fans may not be abundantly aware of. I think subconsciously maybe, but they're not consciously aware of this. And if you really think about it, and even going back to my days, and even before the days I was playing, and, and it still rings true right now, think about this teams with the best fan base. And I guarantee you those teams are in areas that are not largely populated type of cities. Who's got the best home field advantage? Seattle Seahawks? Not exactly a large metropolitan or a metropolis like Los Angeles or New York. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs. You look at the Green Bay Packers. You look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Anytime that you are in a city that has a lot of coming attractions, you're always gonna you're always gonna run the risk of having a multitude of fair weather fans because there's so many different other things to do in that city that they don't have to be beholden to that team. They don't. So if the team is winning, obviously, yeah, they're going to be at the game, have their pom-poms out, they're going to be cheering, things like that. But if the team is not doing well, if the team's not winning, there's just no need because if I'm in the city of Los Angeles, I can go to the beach. I can go to the Beverly Center. I can go to up to hiking in Big Bear. I can just go and just hang out at Santa Monica Pier rather than have to go and watch the Rams or the Chargers. I don't have to do that. If I'm in Miami, Florida, I can go to the beach. I can go shopping. I can go to the restaurants, things like that. I don't have to go and watch the Miami Dolphins. But if you live in Kansas City, and believe me, I've lived there before. If you are living in Buffalo in upstate New York, if you're living in Green Bay, Wisconsin, if you're living in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, there's really not much that you can do other than root for that hometown team. So I think that for the Las Vegas Raiders, there is a possibility that they may run that chance if they stub, if they stub their toe coming out of the gate. Because I think Oakland, California, it's a much different type of atmosphere, much different type of fan base. So there's there's more there's a multitude of reasons versus the limited type of coming attractions that you may have that is going to go ahead and attract everybody in the country versus being in Oakland, California, Bay Area, where that's more of something that's a regional type of thing, something more of a local. Obviously, I like my time in the Bay Area, but that's not something that's going to grab everybody from the country and even certain parts of the world to actually just go to that city all because they just have to be there. I know this will pain Raider fans for me to say this, but Kansas City, one of the best environments in the NFL, and that tailgating scene before the games is absolutely uh, unbelievable. Stanford, what was your favorite place to play on the road? Did you have one? 
Yes, definitely. One of the best ever. Uh, and I know, obviously, like I said, on this network, they don't want to hear that. But yes, uh, obviously, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, they have a strong fan base. They really do. Along with the Seattle Seahawks, the Green Bay Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, teams like that. Now, trust me, the Raiders got a strong fan base as well. I remember so many times playing in the black hole up there in Oakland, even when the team wasn't winning. Like, it's still a strong fan base. And also, Raider fans travel well. You have the Steelers, you have the Packers, Cowboy fans, they travel well. But yes, the Raider fans, they travel well to boot. So I think that um, because of them being in Las Vegas, I think they run the chance of possibly losing certain fans that are fair weather fans versus being in the Bay Area in Oakland, California. Dan, do you have a favorite moment uh, from playing in Oakland? Anything involved with the fans? There's nothing better than when they're doing the, the, opening, the opening introductions. How we would always have uh, the uh, the introductions, and you basically kind of like run through like a line of your teammates through that far end zone right there in front of the black hole, and especially scoring a touchdown over there in that area or making a big defensive stop, like that place just erupts. So, uh, so that's probably uh, those are probably two of my most glowing memories as far as the fans. Stan, looking at the schedule, and to me, the stretch that could really define the season begins. Thanksgiving at Dallas. Then 10 days later, a home game on a Sunday, December the 5th, the Raiders host the Washington football team. And then a week later, they travel to Kansas City. I believe it's the seventh time in the last eight years the Raiders will play on the road at Kansas City in December. And then the following week, Sunday, December the 19th, at Cleveland. And it brings back memories because I remember we played the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving back in 2009 as well. Uh, so it seems like that's just kind of like a recurring theme every four years. I think for the I think for the Raiders, the main thing is that they have to make sure that they stay consistent. They are not going to be able to have a stretch where they lose two to three games in a row, where they lose four games in a row. I think that if that was to happen, then obviously they're going to go ahead. They're going to fall off course. They have to make sure that they stay proverbially on schedule and they have to make sure that they maintain the spots that they need. So like when you look at what you were just uh, what you're just talking about, uh, Dennis, like uh, around that around that area, yeah, you got the Cowboys, then you got at the Chiefs, you got at the Browns, the Broncos. We don't know what they're going to be this year. I think the Colts are going to be a lot better because they got Carson Wentz. So yes, once you get to that Thanksgiving portion of the year, that's where real football was played, anyways. The first two months of the season in September and October, that's football, obviously, because you know it's coming on on TV. But the real football, as far as the game planning, understanding the tendencies, making sure that they take away your right hand and force you to play left-handed, whether it's going to be offensively or defensively or special teams as well, that's when the real football is played, and that's when you truly see who's going to be playoff bound, who's ready to actually do something in the playoffs. You look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. They start off, they came out the gate, what was it, 7-5, and five, and then all of a sudden they get blasted by the Kansas City Chiefs at home the Sunday right after Thanksgiving, and then boom, that's when they hit that hot streak, what Tom Brady used to always do with the New England Patriots, and that's where you truly see where the cream will rise to the top as far as which team is deserving of it. So I think for the Las Vegas Raiders, yeah, to your point, you got the Cowboys. Then you got the Washington football team. We all know they're going to have an even better defense this coming year than they did last year. The Chiefs will already be a uh, – they're going to be a stalwart to play against in the AFC no matter what. And then you got the Browns. Obviously, they're a playoff team last year. Baker Mayfield looking to go ahead and take that next step. So I think – and then they finish off with the Chargers 
in week 18. And I guarantee you that game will have playoff implications no matter what. So I think that for the Las Vegas Raiders, they're going to have to make sure that they do not have a bad stretch throughout the season. You cannot lose three games in a row. I, I don't like that, that just can't happen. Now, two, uh, you know what? You can kind of bounce back from that a little bit if you do it correctly. But losing three in a row, like I, I get it. That's going to be a tough stretch. They cannot lose three in a row. They just can't do it. I'm still trying to get used to a 17-game schedule. The first time the NFL has expanded since 1978. All right, Stanford, looking at the schedule, give me the most intriguing matchup at home for the Raiders and on the road for the Raiders. Oh, wow. At home and on the road. I would probably have to go with on the road. I would probably have to go with at the Chiefs. I think that's going to be a big matchup that's going to be mid-December. It's going to be rather chilly. I'm not going to say that it's going to be completely cold because, like I said, I played in games where it was 10 or 11 degrees. I think in early December, they might be able to go ahead and get away with a 40-degree game, something like that. That game, That's going to be a big game. Like I can tell you that right now. That's going to be a big game, and it's going to have serious playoff slash AFC West leader type of implications. And then I think at home, I would probably go ahead and go with week one, the Baltimore Ravens. That's going to be a huge game. you got to go ahead and get off on the right foot to, uh, for this 2021 season. So it doesn't mean that, like I said, that's going to be the only good team that they play at home. But I think that's going to be very big to start off the year on the right foot rather than go ahead, play in week one, and let's say they lose 30 to 10. So then that's going to go ahead and kind of put the fan base down a little bit, think that, okay, you know what, it's the same old subpar type of Raiders team. But I think that uh, having a good performance against Lamar Jackson, who was the NFL MVP back in 2019, I think having a good performance against him, I think that is something that's going to raise the spirits of this Raider fan base and hopefully get a W and then they can go and play the Pittsburgh Steelers, Miami Dolphins. Those are going to be some tough games as well, but I think that builds the confidence. So the Raiders could very well come out the gate three and oh, but they also could very well come out the gate. Oh, and three. For me, the most intriguing games are the first two of the season. They host the Baltimore Ravens Monday night. This is a team that over the years has been a perennial Super Bowl contender year in and year out. It's not a make or break game. But it's one where, you know, if you could beat Baltimore, you could perhaps set the tone for the rest of the season. And then the following week, it's a short week for the Raiders. They have to travel east. It's a 10 a.m. start. They've struggled with those in the past. And which Steeler team are they going to get? Is it the one that started out last year winning their first 10-11 games, then stumbled to the stretch and were beaten in the playoffs at home by the Cleveland Browns? Very interesting to see what Steeler team shows up these first few weeks of the 2021 season. Yeah, same here. I think that they got to do a good job of bottling up Lamar Lamar Jackson. That's number one. Uh, obviously, the Baltimore Ravens added, what was it, Sammy Watkins to the receiver corps. I think that they're going to have to make sure that they do a good job against him as well. And I think that if they can go ahead and have a good showing on Monday Night Football, that'll go ahead and lessen the blow a little bit of having that short, that short week going to the East Coast, 
uh, having the one o'clock kickoff, which would be 10 o'clock Pacific Standard Time where the Las Vegas Raiders play it. I think that that'll be a little bit of a boost for their confidence going into that game because they're going to have th certain things that are going to be lined up against them. I remember several times when we, whenever we would play on the East Coast, it's pretty much a 10 a.m. kickoff or what we're used to as far as your body clock. So that is something that definitely you need to watch out for whenever teams travel back east, especially the West Coast teams on the far west. All right, let's switch gears now, and let's talk about Tim Tebow. The Jaguars are reportedly going to sign him to a one-year deal. He's 33 years old, but he's not going to play quarterback. He's going to play tight end. Now, he and Urban Meyer go way back. Tebow obviously played for Meyer at Florida. Tebow mm -hmm. is a cult-like figure in that part of the country. They had a lot of success, those two together. They have a very unique and special bond. And Stan, you know what? I'm okay with the move because if you know what? If you want to try to sell some tickets, if you're looking to generate some jersey sales, why not bring him in? Let's see what he's all about. Look, it's a PR move. It's a PR stunt. I don't think it's going to work, but I'm okay with it. Your thoughts? Well, Number one, you hit it right on the head. Like he never wanted to play tight end before. He looked at that like it was a demotion, like it was a slap in the face, and he rejected the idea from all angles. And you want to know what puts butts in the seats? You want to know what puts uh, ticket sales high? Winning games. No matter what, who you run out there, if you win games, they will come. Just look at 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars went all the way to the AFC title game against the New England Patriots, uh, a.k.a. Saxonville. So I think that this entire saga, it stinks. When I go back to uh, Urban Meyer signing Doyle as the strength coach and looking at all of the issues that he had at Iowa with the mistreatment of players, especially players of the African-American descent or just co uh, colored players, minorities, things like that, and him signing Doyle as the strength coach, knowing that, oh, yeah, you know, like 70% of the NFL is black. You know, like 70% of my own roster is black. Uh, there's a huge African-American demograph in Duval County where Jacksonville is located in the state of Florida. I thought that was extremely tone deaf and insensitive by Urban Meyer. So then we now fast forward to this Tim Tebow saga. Well, Tim Tebow did not want to play tight end back when he was playing in the NFL, you know, in 2012. That was my last year in the NFL, by the way. So he goes then to baseball. That doesn't work out. He then decides, okay, uh, I kind of want to go back to football, but I'm not willing to play that position that everybody said I should have played to begin with, even though I rejected it and I ignored it and I completely just knocked down all ideas of any sort of me even playing that because, you know, I'm, I play quarterback and I'm going to make should not play quarterback. So 31 teams are not about to give a 33-year-old first-time tight end a chance at an NFL roster. But you know what? My former college coach, he just got hired by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I know that he'll give me a shot. So I'm going to go ahead and use my connections. I'm going to lean on him a little bit to give me that workout. And so because of that, when you compound that on the insensitive, obviously tone-deaf signing of Doyle, showing that Urban Meyer is still thinking like a college coach, where oftentimes college coaches at the big-name schools and the Power Five conferences in those college towns, the college, the football head coach has pretty much more 
autonomy. He has more power than the mayor or the governor in a lot of those states. That's how Urban Meyer is thinking. Oh, well, you know, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want, and everybody else is going to have to just shut up and accept it. That's pretty much how it's going to be. And so with this Tim Tebow signing, I'm not sure if he's going to make the team either, but I wonder, did they sign him all to not, all to not uh, keep him on the roster? That's hard for me to go ahead and just reconcile in my mind. And that is an easy way to lose the locker room because players are watching this. His teammates are watching them. So when they see, wait a minute, this guy hasn't played since 2012. And he's playing a new position. And Coach Meyer signs him. There's guys who, after two years of being out of the league, teams look at you like you're damaged goods, like you may not be able to make it through a season because your body may not be in shape anymore. You may get hurt, things like that. This kid hasn't played since 2012. And apparently that's no never mind. So I asked myself, I mean, well, maybe I should call up Jerry Jones and tell him, let me play right guard this year or nose tackle or place kicker or something like that. And it sends a powerful message negatively to a lot of players around the league because they're not granted that type of privilege. They're not granted that type of benefit of any sort. So no matter what, if Tim Tebow comes out the gate throughout preseason training camp and he makes the team, and it is not unequivocally obvious that he's one of the top four tight ends or top three tight ends or however many they're going to keep. Guaranteed, Urban Meyer will lose that locker room because the players will look around and see, oh, okay, like they're keeping him around because, you know, that's Urban's boy. Well, that is not going to make grown men. These aren't college kids no more. That's not going to make grown men who make four, five, ten, fifteen million dollars a year that is not going to make them respect you. And when you get to the NFL, that's why a lot of college coaches, Nick Saban included, even though I love him, he's the best college football coach ever. What a lot of college coaches, that's why they stay in college, because they operate on a level of fear. If you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to pull your scholarship back. But guess what? When you get to the NFL, when you get to the big stage, you have to convince this grown man who oftentimes will be making more money than you. You have to convince him to follow you. And you can't do it off of fear. That's why NFL coaches are NFL coaches and college coaches are college coaches because you have to be able to know how to lead men, convince them that they should follow behind you when they really have no reason or any, they, they have, they, like, there's really no benefit to them doing that. They're, they're going to get their money regardless. So you have to be able to convince them, hey, even though you don't have to, this is why you should. And Urban Meyer so far is off to a lousy start at that. Obviously, they drafted Trevor Lawrence number one overall, but come on, who wasn't going to take Trevor Lawrence number one overall? And then taking Travis Etienne uh, the, with the, I believe, 26th pick, his college teammate in the first round, running back as well. I really, really love watching him in college. But I think that Urban Meyer right now is off to a very rocky start as far as gaining the trust and the respect of the locker room and not operating like you would on the collegiate level. He's got to watch himself because this has a chance to blow up in his face. All right, Stan, I want to follow up on something you mentioned. And if I'm a Jaguars fan or in the front office or the owner, my biggest concern is a college coach trying to make the transition to the NFL. I mean, you played for Lane Kiffin, and that experiment lasted about 20 games. Yeah. Steve Spurrier tried it. He lasted two seasons with Washington. Nick Saban, as you mentioned, the greatest college coach of all times, lasted two years with the Miami Dolphins. Chip Kelly was supposed to come in and revolutionize the NFL. He wasn't able to do it. And if I'm a betting man, 
I don't know if Urban Meyer is going to successfully make that transition. The only one to me that's ever been able to do is Jimmy Johnson, who went from Miami, Miami, Florida, to the Miami, to the Dallas Cowboys and won a pair of Super Bowls. And he actually really won three. He left and then Barry Switzer came on. So to me, Jimmy Johnson won three. He's been the only coach that has successfully made that transition. And one thing, Jimmy, he drafted Troy Aikman. But then he also drafted his college quarterback at the time, Steve Walsh. There is a little bit of history of guys bringing in their own players. Great stuff as always, Stanford. Uh, Appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast on the Believe Podcast Network presented by BetOnline.ag. I'm Dennis Ackerman, firm partner, Stanford Route. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And may all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.